I am Nimi and I'm Ritu from Adventurize this is Venturing Beyond a podcast where we delve into the career stories of ambitious individuals Hello and welcome to Venturing Beyond today we have with us Mr. Dale Cole qualified CFA chartered financial analyst and the director of product development at Wellington Management Thank you so much for being here Dale I'm very much looking forward to our conversation My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Before we begin, I would love it if you could introduce yourself really briefly in your own words. Sure. I'm Adele Kohler. I have spent my whole career in the financial industry. I've only worked at two companies over the past 29 years. I've spent the first 16 years of my career at State Street, first in their custody division and then in their asset management division, and I held roles in product management and product development for a variety of different asset classes and product types. My last role at State Street was head of product development and product management and then I made the switch to Wellington. Starting out in the Quant group and then eventually I shifted focus to alternatives where I was a product manager and focused on product development. And today I lead a newly formed department at the firm Wellington's first centralized product development team. Oh, wow, that's brilliant. I'm really excited to hear more about that as we move further on in the conversation. But I'm curious to hear about what made you stay so long between two different companies. So I just loved State Street. I spent a long time there. I sort of grew up there, and it felt like a family. I loved the environment, and I loved learning new things about the finance industry. And then. there was a time where i felt like i needed to make a change and i was lucky enough to fall in love with wellington when i came to wellington and i think one of the things i've learned about large companies is it's easier to navigate large companies when you have spent a long time there because you get to know the institution and the organization and and you've got contacts in different places and so moving from one big organization to another big organization i really learned the value of my network wow yes i can definitely see that i did an internship at State Street actually. We so, did. Yes, I did. I worked at SSGA. So I I really enjoyed the workplace culture that there's so much camaraderie and involvement. So yeah, I really enjoyed that and I can see why you love working there. Yeah, I worked in State Street Global Advisors for most of my time there. Oh, brilliant. Okay. <laughs> so as you grew up You must have heard a lot of advice from people, right? What's the most memorable piece of advice? Can you think of it? Yes, I've gotten lots of advice from really great mentors over the years. I, I think, and some have worked out well, and and others not so well. So I guess I'll start with one piece of advice that probably wasn't great advice, and then I'll mm-hmm. I'll share something that I think was really excellent advice. So when I joined Wellington. I did what most new joiners do at Wellington. You spend about, you know, 6 weeks just meeting people and getting to know the organization and Wellington is a private partnership. And in order to become a partner, you need to be elected by the partners based on your impact at the firm and one piece of advice that I was given by a, a really well-meaning partner with whom I met in those early days was don't ever talk about wanting to become a partner. You know, just keep your head down and do your work. and i now know that you really have to share your career aspirations particularly with your manager managers aren't mind readers and and i've learned over time i actually do have to tell them what my goals and aspirations are because they they don't know 
because you yeah. need advocates who can, can help provide opportunities and more visibility to get you where you want to go. So on the positive side, I guess one really interesting piece of advice is to always assume positive intent. You know, sometimes there can be tensions in relationships or between teams that are pursuing different objectives and priorities. And when someone has done something that negatively affects you, we often go into the interactions with that person, assuming we know why they did what they did and we know what their intent was. I've learned over the the years to, to go into a conversation, assuming you don't actually know all the facts and what their perspective is. And you, you go in asking a lot of curious questions and that really gives you an opportunity to hear. And then you create a kind of a shared understanding of the challenges that the other person is facing. And, and then you can start problem solving together. You can apply this assume positive intent in any aspect of your life, but I found it particularly helpful over the years at work. Yeah, I love that. Thank you so much. And I really feel like communication is so important in any kind of relationship. So I'm so glad you shared that. And I feel like a lot of people, I know they're aware of it, but it's not something you regularly think about or you think about it with regret. Yeah. So I kind of brushed upon this, but where did you start? Like, what was the beginning? How was your journey like? So I started out as a portfolio accountant in the custody division of State Street. The year was 1992. The job market was not all that great. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I mean, I had a vague sense that I wanted to be in business, but I didn't really know about what that meant. So I I pretty much took the first job I was offered. It was an entry-level job where I was required to learn how to use an adding machine. Every day, tallied up all the transactions for State Street's custody clients. And they were big institutions like pension plans that were trading in stocks and bonds all day. They needed to know at the end of the day how much cash they had available to spend the next day. There were hundreds of recent graduates in this role. It was a very repetitive, there was a very little way to distinguish yourself except to be really accurate in your adding. <laughs> no creativity, no judgment, and, and no special skills at work there. So about a year into the job, I got a phone call from a business developer who worked in the sales and marketing department for the custody bank. He told me they were looking to fill a role in their RFP team. RFP stands for Request for Proposal. And uh, these teams are usually made up of early career people who essentially fill out questionnaires that are sent by prospective clients. And this is where I really started to learn and understand the business because these questionnaires ask a lot of big picture questions. And eventually they get very specific about the services of the company. So one one, uh, perspective from that experience is that starting out in a role where you're answering RFPs all day is often a springboard to other roles at the company because you are seen as someone who understands the company and all the services that they provide. So that job eventually led me to a different job answering RFPs in the investment division, State Street Global Advisors. And that's how I landed in the investment industry. And that's where I spent the rest of my career. I want to go back to one thing I said earlier, where I got that phone call from the salesperson. When he called me, I asked him why he had thought of me for that role. And he said, I started at State Street on the same day that you did. And we were in the same basic training program for all the new joiners of the firm. And 
you know, you just asked a lot of really good questions and you seemed really smart. So I thought of you. That was a big lesson learned for me. Essentially, you're always making an impression and that you never know how the different people you come in contact with may impact your path down the road. Yeah, I'm sure the first part of your journey where you were just adding numbers was really tedious and monotonous. So I'd love to hear about how you got through that. There must have been times where you felt like you were drowning under work or you just wanted to escape. Even currently, there might be days where you just want to lie in bed. So I'm curious to hear what makes you keep going. You have to acknowledge that your career is not linear. It's not always a straight line up. There are times when you feel stuck or something outside of work is taking your energy and your attention and you don't feel like you're doing your best work. I've just learned to be okay with that because I've experienced the ebb and flows over the years. And, and I remind myself that you know careers are built over decades. And so some of the things that keep me going and keep me motivated is during those times where you know you may not be doing your best work and you feel a little stuck, first start going back to gratitude and, and, and what's going right for, for you in work and outside of work. That's always very grounding. I also think connecting with others is really helpful. It reminds you that you're not alone. And then finally, looking for ways to mix things up and make a change. I've always found change to be really, really energizing because it feels like you get a fresh start every time. You get to set new goals and you meet new people. So when you're feeling that way, it may just be a sign that something changed, right? And, and your energy is going to come from something else. I definitely agree. I'm completely on the same page with you about change. You have to do a little bit different to keep learning and growing. But I know a lot of people struggle with that fear of failure. And do you have any advice for that? Fearing failure and fearing change? Yeah, I guess I would say something I've learned is that it is really crucial to go into any career with the mindset that change is totally normal and definitely going to happen. And that change always, always comes with opportunity, I found. So anytime there's a change happening in an organization, there's a reorg, you get a new manager, I always start with, ooh, you know, what does this mean for me? Like, what, what, what are the new things that I can, can focus on that might be an opportunity? Were there any conscious changes you made to your life as you realized, okay, I want to go into finance, I want to go into investing? I mean, one of the biggest changes I made that was probably the hardest, but also probably the best was when I decided to leave State Street and move to Wellington. It was really difficult because, you know, I had grown up at State Street. I cared very deeply about the company and I had made many, many very close friends, but I kept getting this sort of gut feeling that it was time for a change. At the time, you know, we had just gone through a pretty difficult period at State Street where our CEO died suddenly and there was a change in leadership and a change in culture almost overnight. And then I felt like I'd being given an opportunity to work at a, a firm that I had heard great things about and that was different. So I made that leap and, you know, it was really sad in some ways. Like I definitely cried when I told my boss <laughs> and then I cried again when I told my team. It was ridiculous. But it's like you're leaving a whole life that you, you know, were building for yourself. Yeah. So I've never really written down a big long term specific career goal for myself. People will ask, 
where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I could never answer that question. So the way I kind of navigate my career is just thinking a little bit more tactically, a little bit more about what's in front of me, but it's usually with the desire to make sure that there's new learning that's happening and new challenges. Others may find it helpful to set sort of big long-term goals. I've always been sort of a little bit more in the moment. And I guess I'll say there was a period of time when I did consider a complete career change. It was shortly after my kids were born and I became really, really fascinated with neonatal health and babies. (laughs) And I started to wonder whether I should go and get my nursing degree and do kind of a complete career shift. And I did actually start to investigate bachelor to RN programs. And I decided that from a logistical standpoint, it wasn't really going to work. And so I did decide to kind of stay in our industry. And I think that's probably kind of around the time where I was starting to think about making a change from State Street to Wellington. So it worked out. Do you think you'll ever pursue it a little bit uh, as a side hobby, maybe? I sometimes think about retirement and whether I could volunteer at a hospital and hold babies. (laughs) That would be like my ideal retirement job is to go hold babies. (laughs) So we'll see. I, I would love to do something in the healthcare field. I also have thought about things like nutrition and you know, nutrition for patients who are undergoing kind of severe care. I definitely love babies as well, especially before they hit the terrible twos. (laughs) (laughs) But I find it so fascinating that you're interested in nutrition and you're interested in learning more about healthcare and helping out that way. But so you mentioned your CFA qualification, how having mentors helped as well as maybe progress further, like beyond education. I'm curious to hear how you traveled along the journey of getting that CFA qualification and what made you want to do it and what you realized afterwards. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's a funny story. So go back to that RFP job that I got in the custody department at State Street. And the person who recommended me was reporting to another person. I'll call that person the big boss. The big boss was talking to our group one day and said, oh, my wife is pursuing this CFA designation. It's the Chartered Financial Analysts exam. And it's a pretty grueling process. It takes at minimum three years. But he said, she tells me she's one of the only women in her prep class. And it's just a sea of men. You know, I came from an all-girls high school and a women's college. So I graduated college being very feminist leaning and girl power. So when I heard that she was doing this thing that only men typically do, and it's very rare to have a woman doing it, it immediately piqued my interest. So I got the materials. And first of all, I realized in starting to study for the exam that I had no accounting background. (laughs) So that was like, a oh, darn, why didn't I take that in college? So I had to take a separate accounting class to start with. And then I took a weekly prep class. Then at the end of the weekly prep class, I took a full one week intensive class And then I took the exam and I wore the same exact outfit to all three levels. So because I passed the first level, I was like a baseball player. I was superstitious about, you know, all my good luck charms and everything. So that was my process. I needed a lot of help. Like I just really wanted somebody to help keep me on a schedule for studying. And that last week of intensive study was really eye-opening in terms of what you did and didn't know. And you had about a month to figure it out before the test came along. Looking back, I'm curious about 
whether you had a mentor or someone you looked at for advice or support? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was so lucky. I think that almost every single manager, direct manager I've ever had has been a, a very strong mentor and teacher. You can get your CFA designation like I did, and you do learn sort of foundational investment things from that type of a program. But ultimately, I mean, I learned the most from having really good teachers. Early in my career, those teachers were teaching me the business, right? And then later, my most important mentors were people who tried to help me develop my soft skills, my leadership skills, my strategic thinking. So I think you have to have mentors who can do both. That's brilliant. And I always found it interesting to look at how there are certain things where you see immediate results. And then there are others like strategy where you know it has an impact, but it's not tangible. So I'm curious to hear about your thoughts as you like learn from them and how you wrap your head around that. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I, in recent years, have been working on more strategic projects for Wellington and trying to identify important areas where we should expand our capabilities. And in one example, we convened a number of different working groups to conduct that research. And we first all had to educate ourselves about this area of the market. And then then we had to do the work to see if that's an area we should be in. And then we had to educate a lot of other people at the firm. My co-leader of that project and I had to think a lot about how do we keep people engaged and motivated over the course of a two to three year project when they don't get to see the results of their efforts for a long time. And so we we had to do a lot of milestones and celebrating, reminding people about the big picture, that this was because we have objectives to be better partners to our clients and, and to grow and really bring back the why to what we were doing on a day-to-day basis and and really highlighting the good work all along the way, giving people a chance to present their work and get exposure and and to help stay motivated. So it is definitely hard and you have to carve out time for these sort of strategic projects or you can't make as much progress. I really relate to that, especially as an entrepreneur, we've been working on this project for so many months now. So it's hard to stay motivated, but having a strong mission really, really helps us in that way. That's right. Yep. <laughs> you mentioned earlier briefly about how you try and spend more time with your family. I'm curious to hear about how you manage that and about what career satisfaction means to you. I would say that a number of years ago, I made the decision that flexibility and being able to work from anywhere was a really important priority for me. It was when my kids were little. I just find that to be really important for my my mental well-being and for the connections that I can have with my family. And career satisfaction is super important when you are a full-time parent and you are making distinct trade-offs about where you're spending your time. And so for me, it's always been really important that I enjoy what I do and that there was a lot of job satisfaction because I know I'm missing out on some things. It goes back to feeling like I'm making an impact, that I'm learning and growing and challenging myself and feeling independently secure is an important part of it. Talking about spending time and like work-life balance, do you have any non-negotiables when you make decisions? The one big non-negotiable is having this kind of flexibility, making sure that I feel like I'm empowered to 
take care of myself when I need to. It's really working for a company that allows people to be human and to take care of themselves. And that's one of the things I feel most grateful about Wellington is its humanistic culture. So that would be what I would say is most important to me is having the ability to be flexible for whatever reason so that you can bring your best self to work when you are at work. Yeah, that makes total sense. Again, quality, right? Right. I would put a priority on finding a company with a great culture over finding the perfect job. It's really hard to find a culture that, you know, is a really good fit and very supportive and long-term thinking. You want to know that your company kind of has your back. And as an example, in 2017, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I had to go through chemotherapy, surgery, radiation. At the time, I was working with one of the leaders of the healthcare team, who's now our CEO. And she called me and was asking me for some information. And I just found out about my diagnosis. So I kind of just blurted it out. (laughs) And she just stopped and said, okay, first of all, how can we support you? Second of all, you need to focus on taking care of yourself. The work will be here when you get back. And that allowed me to take the time that I needed to take care of myself. And she was right. The work was there when I got back. In hindsight, it makes me appreciate how important a good culture is over the the particular role that you're in within that culture. Yeah, security is really important, especially in a job where you never know what's going to happen. I feel like there's a pros and cons to both statements. My initial thought was if you have a workplace culture where you really you love and you want to stay with the team for a really long time, you enjoy going to work every day, but it's not really something you're really passionate about. Like your job itself is not something you're passionate about. Your mind might be altered into thinking that this is actually what you want to do, even though you still haven't found your passion yet. It's a little bit uncertain because you can't really tell what if it is. Right. So that's interesting. I know I think a lot about this idea of having a passion and I think there's just this implicit assumption that everyone should have a passion and then that passion needs to be your work. And I'm just not convinced that's necessary. I know a lot of people who work in my industry who they're not passionate about the markets or investing per se, but they and I love our business. But I would never would have told you in college, my passion is about following the markets. But yet my whole career has been in the investment industry and I've loved it. I also think that you can have passions that you pursue outside of work, you still need to enjoy your work and enjoy coming in every day and the people you work with. But I'm just not convinced that every single person can point to a very distinct passion. That's actually really good to hear. And I'm so glad like, you shared your perspective on that. A lot of people might be stressed over like this very question about following your passion versus a job that you have that you feel safe in. Actually, going back to this whole idea of passion, my daughter, who's in college right now, has received a lot of those messages of you need to find your passion and that's where you should work. And I think she spends an inordinate amount of time thinking about, well, what's my passion and worrying that she's not going to make the right career move because she's not sure what her passion is. And so it's kind of like a little bit paralyzing and it's stress inducing. I just advocate experimentation. If you try something, you're not loving it, feel free to pivot. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure out what they enjoy, even if it's not their passion? 
maybe I did this less consciously as a earlier career person, but more consciously later in life is to really pay attention to your energy levels and where you get your energy and what it comes from. At the end of the day, what are the things that gave you extra energy and what sucked the life out of you? You Try your best to know yourself and what your strengths and weaknesses are and what you prefer versus what you might dislike. Totally. That's something I've learned a lot about in the last couple of years too, is just being self-aware of what your strengths are and what motivates you. Yeah, and even that's kind of hard because you have to be so brutally honest with yourself when you have to be self-aware. Yeah, I think getting feedback too is a good, helpful way to become more self-aware. I've also been taught that you have to ask for it in a certain way. Sometimes one of the techniques is for you as the asker of feedback to say, if you had to change one thing about what, what happened in that meeting or what I did, what would you change? Give me, give me one thing that would have made it better as opposed to, can you give me some feedback? Cause then it's a little overwhelming. It's easier for people to come up with one thing than to be asked the very open-ended question of, of give me feedback. And then of course, you know, thanking people for feedback. The other thing I've learned too, in, in giving feedback is always sharing the intent of your feedback is also another way to deliver feedback that in a way that's more acceptable to the receiver. Again, bringing back that communication aspect, right? Nobody can know what's happening in your mind except yourself. So if you don't share it, it's just, you assume it's there, but nobody actually knows. Right. And it goes back to the assuming good intent too. Like not everybody assumes good intent. So if you give someone feedback, but you don't, you don't tell them the intention behind your feedback and what you're trying to do that's positive for them, they might take it more negatively. Yeah. Was there any like fictional character or movie or story, anything that you relate closely to? I don't know if you know who Dagny Taggart is from the book called Atlas Shrugged. It's a pretty dense book, one of my favorite books and one of the most challenging ones that I've read. But I really admire Dagny Taggart. I can't quite say that I relate to her because she's such an amazing fictional character, but I, I kind of worship her. <laughs> she's a, a very strong, smart, you know, highly competent leader of this railroad who's struggling to keep the railroad going and under some crazy, extraordinary circumstances. But she just strikes me as sort of a ideal female representation of accomplishment and intellectual rigor and, and a lot of the values that I admire in people in general. And I do recommend reading the book if you haven't. It's really a fascinating read. It's very dense. So I always recommend people read it with a buddy and then talk it over. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea as well. Reading with a friend and then discussing it afterwards, it gets you so much more insight, I think. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I wanted to ask you about what your role specifically entails. As you made your career journey in state trade and in Wellington, what kind of skill sets did you require? Yeah, so I guess in my current position, the role that I play is to help vet new ideas for new products that we might launch and to help identify important areas of the market that we don't have products that we maybe we should have products. The interesting part of my role today is that it it spans the entire firm, like meaning it covers products in fixed income, private equity, hedge funds, straight equity, multi-asset. So any kind of product idea that you can think of is sort of coming through our team and you can't possibly be an expert on products in all those areas, right? So one of the most important skills that I now feel like I deploy are 
knowing what questions to ask and having an intuition around that based on experience and bringing others in. And then driving decision-making is another one that's really important in our group because we have to help drive decisions when there are people who disagree. That's so fascinating. I have like a ton of questions, but maybe you could start with, how do you define product management for those who may not? Yeah, so product management is that role that I described where you're you're sort of sitting in between the investment team and the client-facing teams. Basically, this role came about in large firms where you had portfolio managers who were managing a lot of client assets, but there were many, many, many clients, and every client wanted to talk to the portfolio manager to understand what was happening in the portfolios. And if the portfolio manager went out on the road to talk to all the clients to tell them what was happening in the portfolios, they wouldn't be home managing the portfolios. <laughs> so this role was created to sort of solve for that problem. So you had people who were really well-versed in the investment side of what was happening to go out and talk to clients on behalf of the portfolio manager. Other responsibilities of, of product management is also managing the product itself, the success of the product, like what fees are we going to charge for this investment product and how big do we think this product should be or should we cap the size at a certain level because you know we won't be able to generate the return we want if we let it get too big. What's the risk parameters and are we sticking to those risk parameters? So product managers sort of manage the whole entire product and they are a proxy for the portfolio management team in the industry. Product development is now where I'm focused, which is taking ideas and determining whether they should be packaged in the form of a product and sold to clients. And I know the concept of a product in the investment world is a little weird, but you can think of it as providing clients with a particular exposure to a part of the market with a set of parameters on the risk and return profile that they're going to get from that product. And so that's how I would define product management and product development. And they're very closely connected. Yes. I feel like it would be so fascinating to sit where you are, where you can get insight into new development. So it must be quite fascinating to be able to see how the development is taking place. Maybe have a different opinion because you're actually in the field. No, I love it. It's like my favorite job ever. It's like so much fun because there's so much innovative thinking going on in so many different parts of the organization. And then there's all this stuff happening in the markets with new asset classes and new instrument types. And you get to see how people are thinking about those areas and how new ideas start to form. And it's fascinating. Do you have advice to someone who would like is interested in product development or product management? Yeah, I mean, if you're interested in product management, I think there are lots of good analyst type roles where you can get exposure to that job and learn about a particular investment product in a really deep way. And then I think that's a great path to go into product development, which is broader. But having had the depth first, I think can be really helpful. And that's sort of the path that I took is focusing deeply on specific product types throughout my career. And then now it's given me the ability to kind of look broadly. I think it would be hard to just come in at the product level, not having had product management experience, you know? So it's not that it can't be done because there are people on my team who don't actually come from the product side, but they've had sort of years of experience of exposure to new products at the firm. So they've made the transition pretty easily. Do you have any recommendations for resources that you found really interesting, like books or videos or documentaries, something like that? Oh, that's a good question that I wasn't prepared for. 
I don't have a specific resource for asset management, although I have a little stack of books right next to me that were things that I was looking at. So I'll just share with one of the things that I'm trying to learn more about. The basics of Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> so this is one of my things I'm reading. I find in our industry, there's so much interesting stuff going on that you just pick up and start to learn about the things that you're hearing a buzz about. Of course, these foundational programs like the CFA and the CAIA, I think those are good programs if you really are interested in the investment industry and you want to show a commitment in your interest. Yeah, that's what I would say. There were lots of books in the beginning that were like the basics of investing, you know, dictionaries of investing terms, things like that, that I used to reference when I was trying to fill out RFPs and I didn't really understand the language. I have another book here when I was working in the Quant Group at Wellington. And it's pretty foundational, but it's called Active Portfolio Management. This is sort of a Bible for, for quantitative investors. The author is Richard Grenold and Ronald Kahn. Thank you so much for sharing that.